0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're back in the never-ending saga of the Julio-Claudian dynasty of Rome. After previously finishing up Emperor Tiberius' story in the last Julio-Claudian episode, we're now on to the story of Rome's third emperor, Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus. More commonly known by his childhood nickname, Caligula. I want to say up front that I'm very worried about doing this episode and I have been for a while. Caligula is one of those names in history that most people have heard of. He's also very well known for specific reasons. If you look up Caligula, you'll be bombarded with news articles and videos all about the mad emperor of Rome detailing the levels of depravity that this man allegedly enjoyed with sadistic pleasure. However, I'm also worried about the story of Caligula for another reason. I've made it well known on this podcast before, but I don't really like the title of Mad when it's applied to rulers. It's usually just a historical placeholder for the more modern view of, oh, this person was probably suffering from some sort of cognitive or mental disability that made them do some seemingly bizarre things. I always try to do my best on this show not to make the narrative, let's all point our fingers and laugh at the mentally ill man because that's pretty messed up. There's also been a lot of revisionist history in recent decades over Caligula as society realizes, one, Roman historians were super biased and not totally accurate with their histories, and two, discussions of mental health have become more socially acceptable. I'm not going to say that every story about Caligula was a lie and he was the pinnacle of mental health but there definitely needs to be a discussion over who this man possibly was outside of ha ha he put his horse in the senate. Through a certain lens, I believe that Caligula's life could actually be viewed as a tragedy. Unfortunately, it was a tragedy that threatened the very foundations of Rome. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to Rome of the early 1st century CE in... Tarnished Golden Child Now that Emperor Tiberius' story has ended, let's take a look at what he actually did for Rome. Yes, he can be viewed as a tyrant who ruled from afar and was nowhere near the ruler that his adopted father was, but he still ruled for over 20 years as the princeps of Rome. And I guess to continue echoing that point, Tiberius was not Augustus. While the first emperor of Rome sought massive amounts of reforms that helped solidify the state of the new government, he was also constantly looking to expand the might of Rome. That had meant both border expansion and building projects. While this made everyone happy with Augustus, it meant that the treasury that Tiberius inherited was in a sore state of affairs. Tiberius chose to be much more conservative in all manners. He never annexed new territories even when he had his chance with formally bringing in the rest of Germania. It's said that Augustus told Tiberius not to be hasty with Rome's borders like the first emperor had been. So instead of creating new borders like he had helped do as a military commander under Augustus, Tiberius went for stronger borders he built more military bases along the Roman frontiers, especially in the region of Germania. If the German tribes weren't going to become Roman citizens, then it was best they knew that Rome was the actual power in the area. For the most part though, Tiberius's reign should actually be thought of as semi-miraculous. He was incredibly unpopular basically from the get-go, and yet despite this, he remained emperor for over two decades. He prevented the new Roman system from collapsing. There were no new civil wars under his reign, even if it seemed like the entire military was going to mutiny in the beginning. While Tiberius himself had no desire to be worshipped as a god, he kept the power of the Emperor secured. In fact, he constantly worked to have any sort of cult of personality not directed at himself but at the deified aspect of Augustus. That being said, obviously Tiberius was not a saint, he allowed his paranoia to get the better of himself and led a campaign of fear against Rome, especially those who had thought themselves close to the emperor. During his reign you never knew if you were going to wake up one day and suddenly be cut down by the capricious nature of Tiberius. There's very much a reason why it was written down later that the crowds cheered when it was announced the emperor was dead. They cried out to have his body thrown in the Tiber River just as he had done to so many people he had suddenly decided were his enemies. While that never happened, it was the least surprising thing in the world that Tiberius was not raised to godhood in his death. But the Rome Tiberius left behind, public fear aside, was in surprisingly strong shape. The treasury was doing fantastic, the borders on the frontiers were relatively strong. The only thing people actually needed was someone who they could latch onto for support. Someone who they did not have to be afraid of. At one point in time this could have been the military hero Germanicus. But with him dead, the people of Rome would take the next best option. His son. In order to properly understand Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus, in my personal opinion, you have to go back to before his birth. I did a full outline of the Julio-Claudian family tree way back in episode 5 of this show. I wanted that episode to stand alone, but it's been a while so let's actually talk about the insane amount of power and privilege he was born into. First off, Gaius was born to Germanicus, military hero of the Empire, and Agrippina, A woman who for so many years was upheld as the golden standard of what a Roman woman and wife should be. And that's not even including the massive amount of political might she wielded. Germanicus was beloved by all, and people thought he was going to be the emperor. If Tiberius wasn't emperor, I'm sure Germanicus would have received higher honors in death. But going back to his family tree, he was the son of Drusus the Elder, who again was a great military leader under Augustus, and Antonia Minor, the daughter of Mark Antony and Octavia, Augustus's older sister. Even if Mark Antony was an enemy of the crumbling republic in his final days, he was still a very important figure for the early 1st century Romans. Drusus the Elder, Gaius' grandfather, was the son of Livia, wife of Augustus and a pillar of the Roman world. Now for the other side of the family tree. Agrippina, known as Agrippina the Elder to differentiate her from her daughter, was the child of Julia the Younger and Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa. Agrippa was a man like Germanicus, a hero of the people who was a powerhouse in both politics and the military. Julia was the only biological child of Augustus. Obviously, not much more needs to be said about Augustus. He was the first emperor and now in death, a god. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, one of the most powerful figures in all of history and, like Augustus, deified in death. So young Gaius was descended from multiple military geniuses and related by blood to one god and through adoption to two. It doesn't take a genius to realize that he and his siblings were unlike anyone else in Rome. There's not really a great modern-day comparison to drive the point across. It would be like if your family consisted of the President of the United States, an A-list Hollywood celebrity, the monarch of the UK, and Jeff Bezos. Think of how that would inform you as a person. Let's draw out any notions that Gaius may have suffered from any sort of mental illness, which is still entirely possible his family tree alone is enough to make anyone think they could be a living god. So while I will definitely be getting into something more in the vein of, hey maybe we shouldn't be making fun of the things Caligula did because some of it was possibly history being cruel to people suffering from something they didn't understand, there is an equally valid point of view where Gaius was just the most insufferable rich kid you've ever met. Guys, Germanicus, as I'll now be referring to him unless otherwise needed, was born in August of 12 CE, making him one of the few figures we've covered in Julio-Claudian history born after the BCE changeover. Not that it would really mean much for the Romans of this time. As I said before, his parents were Agrippina the Elder and Germanicus. At this time, Germanicus was really ramping up in popularity. He had proven himself as a capable military leader in Eastern Europe and in Germania. He was also one of the Roman consuls of that year. Gaius's childhood was actually spent on the campaign trail alongside his father, which was a very bizarre thing for a Roman soldier to do. For most people in the military, you left your family behind to go fight for many months on end. With Germanicus bringing his family along, or at least just his wife and Gaius, this made him even more of a popular figure among the people. As the popular story goes on from there, Gaius received a child's costume version of the Roman military uniform, which he would wear while playing in the camp. It's said that this helped boost the morale of the other soldiers. The men in the army then started calling Gaius by his more famous nickname, Caligula. Caligula is Latin for little boots, which is kinda hilarious to think about in terms of referring to a Roman Emperor. It would be like if you grew up to be an important figure and people referred to you as Junior or Kiddo. While I'm sure he loved the nickname as a child, he would eventually grow to despise the name, which means someone was definitely calling him that or reminding him of the name when he was older. However, something very important also happened when Gaius was in Germania with his parents. Augustus passed away in 14 CE. I covered this in the episode over Germanicus, but long story short, the Roman army threatened to mutiny when they found out Tiberius was now in charge. At one point the soldiers even seemed like they would hurt Agrippina and Gaius if Germanicus did not proclaim himself the new emperor. Well once that situation was handled, Gaius' father finally realized it was best if his wife and son went back to live in Rome. But Gaius wouldn't remain in Rome for much longer. As Emperor Tiberius's relationship with Germanicus soured, he decided to ship off the great military leader to act as governor of the eastern provinces. Germanicus packed up his family and moved them to the city of Antioch and Roman Syria. Gaius would have only been about five years old at this point. Things would once again go horrifically bad for Gaius' family when Germanicus died in 19CE the family was forced to move back to Rome. Germanicus's funerary arrangements were unlike most in history. He was cremated in Antioch and Agrippina personally held onto his ashes all the way back to Rome. Sources don't really talk about Gaius' position during this, but I would assume he was by his mother's side for most or all of the journey. By the time he was 7, Gaius Germanicus had lived a life more full of intrigue and fear than most people. But boy was he far, far from over with all of that. Okay, so I've tried my absolute best to find information that filled in the gaps between Germanicus's death and the next major incident of Gaius Germanicus's story, but no one seems to want to talk about what happened in the following decade of his life. Spoiler alert, the guy doesn't even live to see age 30. How do we not have information for almost a third of his life? So, I'm gonna take a wild swing at the fences and say his life was probably like that of the rest of the royal family growing up. Great education, probably got anything he wanted. Gaius would have grown up to see public opinions over his great uncle go from bad to worse. That unfortunately meant that he also saw Tiberius's relationship with Agrippina go from sour to outright hostile. Gaius' family was fairly popular when it came to the Roman public, so even though the people would have been outraged at Tiberius and Praetorian prefect Sejanus waging a personal war against them, that didn't stop what came next. In 29 CE, Gaius would have been witness to his mother and older brother being banished from Rome. It was probably only due to the fact that he was just 17 years old, so technically not a political threat, that Tiberius and Sejanus spared young Gaius' life. The next year, his other older brother Drusus Caesar was imprisoned for speaking out against the treatment of Agrippina and Nero Caesar. When those imprisoned and banished died, Gaius and his three younger sisters were all that remained in Rome of that family let's very briefly talk about Gaius's sisters. As I just said, he had three of them. With Germanicus having been adopted into the gens Julia, all three were named Julia. However, their cognomen were all different, making things much easier. There was Julia Agrippina, usually just called Agrippina the Younger, Julia Lavilla, and Julia Drusilla. Julia Lavilla was probably the only one who ever actually went by Julia due to complications with her paternal aunt, Claudia Livia, whom she was named after. So to make things easier, they'll be called Agrippina the Younger, Julia, and Drusilla. Julia was the youngest of the group and would only have been about 12 years old when her mother and oldest brothers were taken out of the picture. It's believed that Gaius and his sisters were fairly close. Perhaps a little too close according to some historical sources? After their mother's arrest and banishment, the four siblings were sent to live with their great-grandmother, the Empress Livia. Agrippina the Younger was quickly married off to their first cousin once removed, a man named Anais Domitius Ahenobarbus. Roman historian Suetonius describes him as a man who was in every aspect of his life detestable so yeah he sounds great also in 28 ce when she was married agrippina was only 13. nice 30 yeah basically nothing is known of their marriage however that marriage would give rise to a son lucius domitius ahenobarbus we more commonly know him by the name emperor nero claudius caesar During all of this, Empress Livia died, meaning the children needed a new guardian. Julia and Drusilla were lucky, getting to live with their paternal grandmother, Antonia Minor. As for Gaius? Well, it turned out that Emperor Tiberius still kinda needed an heir. The pickings were slim considering he had basically killed everyone else. The only men left in the family tree were Gaius and his younger cousin Tiberius Gemellus, the natural grandson of Tiberius through his deceased son Drusus. According to Suetonius, Tiberius actually believed that Tiberius Gemellus was not of legitimate birth, meaning Gaius was technically the more desirable heir. That being said, the whole succession thing still hadn't really been written down as far as Roman emperors went. For the time being, it seemed as if Gaius and Tiberius Gemellus would split the power. So in order for Gaius to get acquainted with his new future, in 31 CE Gaius was shipped off to the Emperor's personal villa on the island of Capri. Records of what life was actually like on Capri for both Tiberius and Gaius are practically non-existent, at least any primary sources. Instead, we have to rely on rumors and second-hand sources that detail a depraved situation going on within the Emperor's Villa. I briefly went over this in the last Julio-Claudian episode, but essentially rumors started spreading and were later recorded stating it as a fact that Tiberius was a closeted sadist and pedophile who was now free to live out a horrific lifestyle in peace. Did he actually rape or torture anyone and then have them thrown off the nearby cliffs? Who knows, our main sources for this information were writing their histories after Tiberius' death and didn't really like the guy, which is definitely going to be a theme throughout the rest of the Julio-Claudian saga. So at best, Gaius is moving in with his moody adopted grandfather who doesn't even really like him. At worst, well it's the situation I just described. I mean, this is the man who had his family torn apart and sentenced to death. The story goes that Tiberius decided to spare Gaius from any sort of torture, at least physically. It said that the Emperor and the visitors he allowed would remind Gaius of the fates of his mother and brothers, mocking him all the while. To his credit, Gaius never lashed out. That being said... God, it really makes you feel for the kid. Remember, he's only 19 years old, barely a legal adult even in the ancient Roman world. Gaius would live with Tiberius for the next six years. During this time, it's said that Tiberius grew to admire Gaius' tenacity and maybe even actually like him, not in the creepy pedophile way but like, just as a member of his family. It's then said that Tiberius started giving Gaius free reign over his life on Capri. If Gaius wanted to join in on the weird orgies and torture, he was free to do so guys gladly accepted this new lease on life going all in on the activities tiberius allegedly partook in the emperor seemed to notice that guys had a real knack for torture sex and violence probably even surpassing his own it said that tiberius remarked that he was nursing a viper for the roman people as a man who didn't really like rome that much anymore this was probably exactly what tiberius wanted However, Gaius was an incredible actor throughout all of this. Even if he was acting all buddy-buddy with his adopted grandfather, the young man still wished to see him dead. Gaius would claim, later in life, that while on Capri, he would often walk into Tiberius' room in the middle of the night and hold a dagger over the Emperor's chest. He also said that the only thing that stopped him from killing Tiberius during these times was the voice of Emperor Augustus in his head telling him not to do it. During his years in Capri, Gaius was officially named as Tiberius's heir, alongside his cousin Tiberius Gemellus. It was during this time that he befriended a prefect of the Praetorian Guard named Nervius Satorius Macro. Macro, as Praetorian Prefect, was very close to the Emperor and seemed to speak well of the young Gaius whenever the Emperor's raging paranoia decided to target his grandson. This friendship between Gaius and Macro would continue and perhaps be the cause of Tiberius's death. In March of 37 CE, Tiberius was found dead in his bed. While no one knows exactly how Tiberius died, rumors arose that either Gaius or Macro had killed the Emperor in his sleep. Gaius's time on Capri is a bizarre and complicated chapter in his life. Many historians throughout the centuries between his own life and the present say that it was these six years under the perverse tutelage of Tiberius that would transform him into the Mad Emperor Caligula. However, you have to remember where he's coming from. Gaius had basically lived a traumatized life since he was two years old. Did he take part in debaucherous behaviors on Capri and learn to like that lifestyle? Maybe, but in my opinion I think that Capri did not actually change Gaius as much as people think it did. But there are millions of rumors about those six years that may or not be true, and a million more viewpoints that have varying levels of merit to them. No matter what though, one thing was now true. Gaius Germanicus was the new emperor of Rome. When Gaius Germanicus was announced as the new emperor of Rome, okay, yeah, technically co-emperor, but we'll get to that in a minute, the people were ecstatic. As I've hammered home many times, public opinions towards Tiberius were pretty low, So the people were probably thinking, not only is the guy no one likes alive anymore, but his successor is the son of our once great hero Germanicus. This can only be a sign of a golden future. There were some people that were hesitant about the state of the empire under Tiberius, despite the fact that he very much kept it afloat. With Gaius on the throne, maybe it was a sign that the second emperor was just a bug in the coding of Rome that had finally been fixed. A group that was not immediately happy with things, however, was the Praetorian Guard. After Tiberius' death, they immediately placed both Gaius and Gemellus under house arrest. Luckily for Gaius, this did not last very long, seeing as he was sworn in as emperor only two days after Tiberius died. Things for Gemellus, however, did not go as smoothly. You see, Tiberius died the day before the Roman Feast of Liberalia, a feast to the gods Liber and Libera, which happened to be a day when teenage boys were able to undergo the social ceremony of being accepted as an adult. If the Emperor had not died when he had, Gemellus would have been considered an adult, which meant he was entitled to equal rule with Gaius Germanicus, now Gaius Caesar Augustus. This coincidence only further flamed the rumors of Gaius' involvement in the death of Tiberius. So, since Gemellus was legally still a child, ten days after Tiberius' death, Gaius Caesar approached the Senate and had Tiberius's will nullified under the grounds of insanity. However, Gaius would go on to adopt Gemellus, seemingly naming him as heir. So, with issues of succession out of the way, Gaius was ready to pave the way for a bright new future in Rome. He started reversing all the poorly received politics of his predecessor. He lowered taxes and doubled the amount of money the Praetorian Guards would have otherwise received in Tiberius's will. On top of that, he also gave out a decent chunk of money to each citizen of Rome as a show of goodwill. Seriously, things were legitimately looking up. Suetonius recorded that around 160,000 animals were sacrificed in Gaius' name within the first three months of his reign. It really seemed as if Gaius knew how to get the support of both the patricians and the plebeians. He restructured the government so that more funding could be put into festivals and public projects. He also publicly burned personal letters from Tiberius, although he lied and said he had never read the secrets Tiberius had written down. Gaius positioned himself as a successor to the reign of Augustus, a ruler for all people. However, due to his youthful age, he denied the use of Potter patriae, father of the nation, that had been given to Augustus. Tiberius had also chosen to avoid using that title. On top of all that, Gaius showed he cared deeply about his family. He had the remains of his mother and brothers returned to Rome where they were interred with the rest of the imperial family in the Mausoleum of Augustus. He started the process of building a temple to Livia, something he had allegedly vowed to do for her, though this temple was never actually constructed. He also gave royal and priestly titles to his remaining relatives. Things were good, some might even say they were great. Rome had been given a new lease on life with Gaius Caesar. And then the emperor was stricken with a serious illness. As had been the case with Augustus back when he was first starting out as emperor, Gaius soon found himself bedridden, barely clinging to life. Everyone was horrified that their young, wonderful Emperor could possibly die in the prime of his life. During this time, Gaius made some bizarre decisions regarding the future of the Empire. First, Gemellus was out. He was also executed. Gaius then had his sister Drusilla divorce her husband and marry a not-too-distant cousin named Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, the great-great-nephew of Marcus Aemilius Lepidus of the First Triumvirate and also possibly a great-grandson of Augustus. Both Suetonius and historian Castus Dio theorized that Gaius and Lepidus were lovers, and this was a way for the two to see more of each other. Well with Gemellus out, Gaius would need a new heir and it seemed as if he put Lepidus in this position. Now, a lot of people tend to separate Gaius' reign into two time periods. The first is the half-year after he first became emperor following the death of Tiberius. This was a time of prosperity, bread, and circuses. But after he fell ill, there's this tendency to believe that Gaius's mind was almost, like, torn apart by the illness. It's then where you enter the period of Mad Emperor Caligula. However, this is really just historians grasping at straws. Yes, Gaius was seemingly a great ruler in the early days, but that doesn't mean he was always a great person. He was still that spoiled rich kid in the Imperial family who had been hoisted up from an early age and then extremely traumatized for the next 20ish years. If the stories are to be believed, he did just as many horrible things in Capri as Tiberius. Maybe fearing he was actually going to die from this illness, Gaius realized he had not really taken advantage of the powers of the title of Emperor, and if he ever got better, boy would he take advantage of them wholesale. It's also been tossed around that Gaius' affair with death was brought on by being poisoned, and just like Tiberius dealing with his sons being poisoned, this only made Gaius that much more suspicious of those around him. This would explain why, after he started getting better around half a year later, his first new batch of political decrees would be to gather up those who had supported Gemellus over himself and have them put to death. There's also a story about how senators stood in the middle of meetings and prayed to the god Jupiter, asking him to take them if it meant that Gaius would be spared. Well, word of this reached the emperor. When he could speak with the Senate once more, he approached those who had made such prayers and asked them when they would like to die. Jupiter had spared Gaius's life, when was he going to take theirs? To top off all of this, in June of 38 CE, Drusilla passed away. She had been sick for quite some time and it said that Gaius never left her bedside. She had always been his favorite sibling, to the point where historians said they were sleeping together. In her death, Gaius went to the senate and demanded they deify her. She was given such honors, now being called Diva Drusilla Panthea, with her worship making her comparable to an aspect of the goddess Venus. From then on, things in Rome changed. With everything that would come to pass, maybe Jupiter himself actually had saved Gaius Caesar. After all, it wouldn't be long before the emperor himself started calling himself a god. going to hit the pause button on Gaius Germanicus's story for right now. We are obviously just getting into the more interesting side of his reign. To be honest, when I realized Gaius's story was quickly approaching in the Julio-Claudian saga I was really worried. But not because of the reasons I listed at the top of the episode. I was almost worried that I would really only be able to do one episode over the guy and just talk about the weird stuff he would end up doing. Surprise, surprise, we haven't reached any of that yet. Because as great as it is to talk about wild stuff that happened in history, there's no point in talking about it in a show like this if you don't have the full background. In order to really understand why Guy Germanicus did anything, you need to hear about his childhood. The brief spark of hope he had with his parents, the tragedy of losing everyone older than him, the nightmare that was his several years on Capri with Tiberius? We're only just getting into the reign of Gaius, and there's a whole lot more story that I'll tell you about next time we get back into the Julio-Claudian saga. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode next time it's another installment of were they great we're looking into a man who for most of the public is really only known for something horrific he did in the bible but while he may be known as a vile killer of children in the new testament in historical circles he's actually referred to as herod the great i hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers